You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, music lovers, and welcome to Modern Musicology. We are glad to have you aboard. My name is Alan, and with me is Rob Levy. Hey, what's up? Anthony Williams. Howdy. And Stephanie Seymour. Hi, people. Okay, this week we are back, continuing on with our topic from last week's episode of the albums of 1988. This week we're covering the second half of the year starting in June. And if you want to listen along with what we're talking about, go check out our Spotify playlist where we have a song from each album that we're discussing in the order in which we're discussing them. So it's easy to follow along. It's one song per album that sort of exemplifies that album. So go check that out. Okay, so May was a, an immense month, but look at all the stuff that came out in June. I've got a very unexpected shout out, something I don't think any of you would in a million years expect me to be shouting out. Oh, can we guess? And that is, you can guess. No, there's too many to pick from. Go ahead. Uh, Paula Abdul, Forever Your Girl. Oh, I knew that that would be on Stephanie's list. No, it's not. It's, not. <laughs> it's on Anthony's list. <laughs> crazy straight up is one of my favorite like 80s tracks that's not metal it makes it onto every single 80s playlist i put together for a party <laughs> i fucking love that track so paula i see you i also want to say uh june pantera released their final album with their glam sound thank god and that's <laughs> right. what i'm gonna say about that right paula and pantera yeah <laughs> And it wasn't Oil even a good shout-out for Pantera. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the month that It Takes Two came out. Right. Rob Bass? The, the 12, yeah, the 12-inch for the uh, Easy e and Rob, yeah. The, oh, it takes because two. I had that for August. I'm sorry. It Takes well, Two. Well, the 12-inch came out. Ah, oh, shit. Um, the 12-inch, <laughs> it, it, it broke as a 12-inch, and then it went. It did. It just exploded, yeah. And this is important because this is when you start to see you know, you'd seen like Young MC and Tone Logan and things sort of break into clubs. But when It Takes Two hit, oh, it was like, it, it really opened the door for, for the merger of like black hip hop and black soul and like the very, very white homogenized dance clubs, right? Yes. Particularly in the UK, because it, it, this changed everything and it would influence the whole Hacienda sound. You'd get a guy called Gerald a couple months later. You'd get, you know, New Order had a big trippy dance record later that this was kind of an influence on. Um, so yeah, that, and I think the, the big dog, which I think is also on your list, Steph, as it takes a nation of millions to hold us back. I mean, that's one of my two, two favorites, I think of the year it's this album and, and Stessa Sonic, but uh, yeah, this was this, I keep, I, I keep coming back to the words, a sonic bomb to describe this album because it was so powerful. Again, another album with immense like political and social commentary and, and really revolutionary kind of ideas. And Chuck D was just like 
a tour de force. His voice was, the delivery in his voice is magic. And I, I really think it's one of the best albums of all time. Enemy actually said that it was the greatest hip hop album ever. I mean, then, I mean, yeah. I, they might have changed, you know, their mind after, you know, more things came out afterwards. But it really, it was just, there's not a bad song on that album. There's so many crazy great songs. And it's so like, it's such a long album. You know, you, you have song after song after song that just hitting you and hitting you. Like, don't believe the hype. Cold Lamp In with Flavor. Night of the Living Bassheads. Party for Your Right to Fight. Mind Terrorist. I mean, they're just like, boom, 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 boom. And yeah. right, like, it, and you could feel that album in your soul, I feel, you know? Yeah. It's also, too, a record that really, you know, from the college end, challenged a lot of programmers because they're like, all right, I'm putting a rap record in because yeah. we felt like you had to do something with it, but you didn't know what it was just, it was impossible to ignore by anybody. You know, this is, this is around the time the PMRC is in full gear too. Right. <laughs> so this, this record firmly scared the shit out of white people. I mean, and that oh, was, and that's, and that's, a, that's a fantastic thing. I mean, the best thing you could do to like, Adolescent college kids in 1988 is tell them something might scare the shit out of their parents, man. <laughs> they sold more records to white kids with this record, I think. And this is the beginning of like hip hop really being political and, and seen as dangerous, right? Oh yeah, like before it was kind of fun. Yeah, but now it's not fun because later in the year you're going to get you're going to get NWA, which we've already yeah. talked about in this show. But yes, I mean yes, this was you're right, Pierre. PMRC or PRMC? What is it? Whatever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they were on top of it, like, you know, no yeah, one's there business. Are, there are three specific records this year that they went after really hard. Yeah. They're all within this three month span. Yeah. And it's like they only listen to records during this three months, right? <laughs> yeah. This thing hit like a bomb. We did not know what the hell to do with it, where to program it. Mm. Um, I probably got. 12 to 15 cuts on my fingers, recording it onto a reel-to-reel and then splicing out all the curse words mm. so that we could put that onto a cart for like a radio-friendly yeah. thing. Um, and this is one of the first things I would see on, saw on vinyl where they released like a single with like a radio edit. This kind of launched the radio edit because this record was just so in demand and people were like, well, I want to play this record, but... Need, need a clean version, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so they they very playfully did a radio edit for some of the songs, not all of it. They were pretty uncompromising with it, but yeah. it did change the game. I think it's the single most important record of the year. Stephanie, you talk about hip hop at this point becoming more political, and for me, this is this is where hip hop is really interesting. I think hip hop needs to be saying something, and what we've had in more recent times, where a lot of hip hop has taken on the kind of uh, excesses that I more traditionally associated with the glam metal scene, right? The whole uh, guns, bitches, and bling yeah. thing, right? <laughs> no, thank you. No, but this this is interesting. I like I like this era of hip hop a lot. Yep, yeah. agreed. Can I talk about my favorite album of the year, Stetsasonic in Full Gear? This is Stetsasonic's second album in Full Gear on Tommy Boy, one of the hottest labels at the time. Um, you know, again, different styles of hip hop. This is a sort of pure, like energy bravado in the most endearing kind of way. Great lyrics, great rhymes, a diverse sound, like each band member taking turns with verses. 
you know, it's really in your face, but it's got a lot of layers going on. Uh, I just, it's, they're really considered one of the acts that pioneered kind of like jazz and rap together with like beatbox sampling and mix of styles of like R&B and dance hall and jazz. I mean, they just put everything together in one huge mixing pot and came out with just every single song on this album is amazing. And I would go to the clubs and hear this stuff coming on and it would drive the crowd wild. You know, when you heard like DBC, let the music play, it just four little lines encompassed the whole feeling of the scene, which was so break out the champagne, pop the cork, the year's 88, the town, New York, the crowd is loud and everything's okay. DBC, let the music play. It was just like people was, were going bananas. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they, they also had like every member of the group produced different songs on the albums, which is really a weird thing at the time. It was kind of cool. They sampled James Brown. They sampled Sly and the Family Stone a lot, but they also had like live drummer when they played live and they, they just, they were just such a powerhouse group. I, I, I love this album so much to my very core. It's one of my favorite albums of all time. Wow. That's amazing. I want to just super, super quick. I do want to close out June by talking about a film that came out that year. And that is decline of Western civilization. Part two, the metal years, which we've talked about a, a, a couple of episodes back on our metal show with uh, Matt Oshbach, um, a really important film that captures that, that, LA scene with the hair metal bands and the determination to make it and the oversaturation of the scene of all these bands who all want record contracts and not all of them are going to get them. And, and it's just a great film and it is really eye opening. Yeah. That's a great movie. Everyone should see that. Totally. We talked about some of the hip hop stuff and there's another one coming up later this year talking about the, the social commentary and the really, um, uncompromising look at what inner city life is like. And then to counterbalance that coming out on July 1st is the fifth album by the fat boys coming back hard again. Now the fat boys had made kind of their, their stock and trade taking old soul and rock songs and making rap songs out of them. So they did jailhouse rap and sex machine and wipe out. And so with their fifth album, they come out with the twist, which they had chubby checker on. He sang with them on the song, Louie Louie. So they're still doing that same thing and having huge success with it. This album either went platinum or double platinum, I think. So mm -hmm. they are, they're really rolling, but they also have a song called, are you ready for Freddie? Which became the closing theme for the, that new Freddy Krueger movie, which we've already talked about a couple of times in the last episode. So, you know, the fat boys are just doing their own thing and they are still doing that fun element of mm -hmm. hip hop when other bands like, NWA are really getting dark and gritty and yeah. telling the truth and, and not pulling any punches. That's why I just love this whole year because you just yeah. get such a mix. It's great. All right. Who's got some July? There are two albums released on consecutive days that I just want to give a shout out to you because they are so, so different. And I kind of love the, the contrast between them. So on July 4th, you had Kylie Minogue's debut album. Of course, I oh, should be so yeah. lucky, I think, of as being the, the kind of pinnacle of the Stock Aitken Waterman sound. 
Yes. And then the very next day, July 5th, just to swing the pendulum in a totally different direction, Slayer with South of Heaven. <laughs> yeah, baby. Kylie and Slayer. <laughs> there you go. Kylie and Slayer. Uh, and specifically on that Slayer album, I'm not a huge Slayer fan, but they did a cover of Judas Priest's Dissident Aggressor that is just insane. Yeah. It's so it's got such I mean the original had more aggression than you normally saw in the metal scene in the 70s and Slayer being Slayer they just amp it up. It's great. Well for even further contrast also on July 5th Crowded House Temple of Low Men. <laughs> Holy cow, I love this album so much. Better Be Home Soon was the big single from it, but there's so much good material on this album. I think that they created some of the best pop rock music of that time into temptation is one of my favorite crowded house songs i feel possessed is so great kill i is so good i mean it's just a you you can't go wrong with that entire album you can't and i can't believe that wasn't even how did i forget that album on my list i don't know took it off my list <laughs> so, yeah i'm glad alan brought it up because it really is oh, one of the greatest albums they even put out <laughs> yeah i don't know if it's Jan, uh, july 5th or not but i had um the indescribable wow by sam phillips down mm. which i think steph is one of the first records i thought it was the first record you worked at virgin but then i just realized we just talked about it a lot yeah, I because I, I only worked the, uh, what is it, Martinis and Bikinis album by her. I might have been an intern over at Virgin when they were, when Indescribable. And, and that's the one I'm thinking of, I, I'm, I'm guessing. But I uh, just remember you and I, at least when this came yeah. out in real time, it kind of talked about it. Yeah. Because um, I'd never heard of Sam Phillips before this. And it's really fantastic. Well, she was more like doing Christian music beforehand. Yeah, under Leslie Phillips, I believe, which was her name. Not Sam Phillips. She was going by Leslie, yeah. which might be her real name. I don't really know. But yeah, Alan, I think we share a, another release at uh, Pat Benatar, right? I bet we do. Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> Pat yeah. Benatar. Yeah. Wide Awake in yeah. Dreamland. Yeah. What a good album. So good. This is her seventh studio album, and she's still cranking out the hits. I mean, uh, one, oh, I just love the song One Love. It's so beautiful. Yes. It's got such a good vibe and... Uh, I love it. Let's stay together and a real kind of just super cool. Like, I don't know how to describe what Neil's doing on the guitar with the strings. He's kind of muting them, but he's like strumming them like they're a rhythm, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's just a really, I don't know. I just love this whole album. All fired up. Great song. All fired up is like a Pat Benatar powerhouse song. Yeah. There's two songs on side two that I love. Cool zero and cerebral man are fantastic. Um, my favorite Pat Benatar song ever is on this album and it's called too long a soldier. It is one of the, I don't, I don't, I I don't know the story behind it. I don't know what the inspiration was for it or who it's written about, but it's really powerful. And another thing about to this album is this is when the drummer, Myron Grumbacher really starts to, he's always been involved in the songwriting of the band he'd usually have like a song per album or something but he really gets into it this year and he and neil you know write he's got at least half the album are myron grumbacher Mm -hmm. co-writes so you you feel him all over the album and i think it really changes the dynamic of it and changes the sound of the band yeah 
this was a little bit of a different sound, but this, this also, I feel like this was kind of her last really kind of hard rocking kind of album. It was because right after this, they did a blues album. Yes. Right. And it did not do well. I, I wouldn't say it tanked, but it didn't do well because radio wouldn't play it because they're like, it doesn't sound like Pat Benatar. Right. So it, it wasn't real. And they never really had a, another big success after that. So, yeah. you know, uh, the blues album is really good, but maybe they should never have done it. <laughs> right. I know. It's like, you know, but at this point, I think she could have done whatever she wanted to Right. It's her. She was so big yeah. that she just did what she wanted to after that. Basically. Oh. Yes. August. Who's got some August picks? All right, Rob, go for it. So Sparks released interior design, which they've released like 9,000 times since then in nine different versions. Not a record that's necessarily known as their best, but it's an interesting record that upon hindsight, a lot more people are starting to listen to again. It's certainly one that when people are talking to the band now on this tour, they're saying, oh, play some stuff from this record. It's got Madonna on it. Not Madonna the person, but the song Madonna. <laughs> um, it's got some some other interesting stuff on it, and um, every year should have a Sparks record. And I'm going to be honest, Rob, it's not one that I give much thought to. I, I didn't either. I've only really started listening to a lot of it. I mean, I've had it, but I, I until this last tour, I probably only listened to it maybe once a year, if that. But there were some people at the show that kept talking about it. There was one guy who was a music writer who's writing an essay for a music journal about it. And then I'd heard the band kind of talk about uh, in an interview, what's the album that people are requesting songs from? And they're kind of like, so it's kind of one of those records that's kind of coming back into vogue, but I don't know if it's because the band overall is or it's just because I'm missing something. But uh, I've been listening to it a little more. Um, it's still not their finest thing. It's a little uneven, but it's got some really great moments on it and it sparks. We also had talked about the PMRC earlier. And if you think they love Public Enemy, boy, they <laughs> love them. They friggin' love them. Some Jane's Edition, nothing shocking. <gasps> That's one of my huge picks, too. Yay! Um, and yeah, feel free to talk about it. It's it's the perfect fusion of like alternative rock and metal. Yes. It was a great record for me as a music director at the time to, to play because my guys that were DJs that always wanted to hear something hard were like, oh my God, this is the greatest friggin' thing ever, right? Um, it really walked the line with two or three different genres, right? And it's it's still a powerhouse. It's an amazing record. It is insane. It's a monster. The, like Ocean Size, Had It Had, Idiot's Rule. Just there's there's so many uh, amazing tunes on this. Dave's guitar work is fantastic. Oh my god! Yeah, he shreds. Like shredding. And there's a little. I feel like a little personal connection to this album because. Uh, like in the uh, new music seminar, 1987, it was, I met, we, my friend Denise and I met them. We, we went to see them play at the Ritz. This is when they had like, I think they had maybe released their indie that, you know, the first record that they basically put that out themselves as an indie release. But so yeah. we became friends with um, Steven and David for a, for a while, like for some few years. And then to see them kind of just build and all of a sudden really start getting attention that it, it was very nice to, you know, it was a really cool thing to see. And man, that album slams mountain song. Come on, Ted, just admit it. There's so many great songs on that album. <laughs> and you're right. The PMRC, I forgot about Ted. Really I, until I revisited that this week, I completely forgot about Ted. Just yeah. Admit it. It's yep. like, oh my God, this is great. Yeah. 
Also, speaking of PMRC, what about NWA? This is the I was going to bring that up. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, come on. I I think straight out, I mean, in this year, you have that Public Enemy album and that NWA album. I I mean, yeah. You know, this comes back to what you're saying, Stephanie Golden Era, two of the greatest hip hop albums of all time. Yep. Hands down. Right. And you, you know, this is an album that the FBI was writing letters of warning about, you know, warning people yep. about this group. They're dangerous. They're politically dangerous. I mean, uh, it wasn't just, you know, the, the women of the PMRC, you know, it was, they were really causing uh, angst among. Oh my God. Yes. Federal agencies, you know? Yeah. I got called into an office with the Dean. Mm. about this record with Mm. the dj who played it we took the time to edit it and it was it almost got us shut down wow i bet i mean mtv banned straight out of compton video you know like they were getting banned all over the place and until anybody i mean we had run it for like two weeks before anybody said anything about it right but it's just one of those records that's so incendiary and volatile but yet so socially important at the time Mm-hmm. Right. Because as someone that listened to, you know, a lot of indie records and listened to a lot of soul and stuff and was pretty aware of the civil rights movement, um, but not completely. Right. Um, this is the PE record really made me start to think about a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, socioeconomic urban kind of stuff. And it really brought a whole new way of thinking about pop music. I mean, there wouldn't be a Rage Against the Machine if there wasn't this record. Oh, right. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you know, it really sort of changed a lot of how radios, radio stations played records. It also changed how records got reviewed. Uh, it sort of made MTV think about what they were doing. And it also put a lot of retailers in peril. Yeah. Because I remember at the record store, it was in a paper bag, taped over, marked new NWA album. Oh, my God. Hmm, yeah. Yeah. And in some places, you had to go to a counter and get it because people were stealing it. At the Peaches Records, you had to go to the counter to buy it and show an ID. Oh, wow. Right? And this is before. I mean, I mean, people were like freaking out about this. I mean, I remember thinking when I when I heard this, it's like, is this what it was like with Elvis? Yeah. I mean, it's not, but I mean. Yeah. This is also the album that sort of like started the West Coast, East Coast rivalry. I mean, this was like L.A. Yeah. album, you know? And they were talking about LA issues, not and like. Let's just also say that all of the things we said are are true, and and also they there were amazing songs on this album. They were just great. Express yourself, straight out of Compton, fuck the police is a great song. You know, they're it's yeah. just a good. You want to sing it, you want to move to it. It's it's they're just great songs too. And, and I think the reason for that is that the whole album has a, a very strong sense of classic funk. Yes. I've always thought that it sounded like a modern funk album. And it wasn't until later on when I started to actually kind of look into it that I realized that this thing is littered with samples of James Brown songs mm-hmm. and Funkadelic and the Ohio Players. And even even bands like Cool in the Gang. Yeah. You know, so Richard Pryor, they sample like one of his comedy routines. So it has that um, that embrace of its of its heritage at the same time doing something brand new with it. And I think that is the strongest element of that album. It is it's a 
brutal album, but at the same time, it builds on that foundation of the music that came before it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So speaking of gangsters, I should talk about something that has nothing to do with gangsters. Sunshine on Leith came out this month, which unleashed the uh, eternal hell that is I'm going to be 500 miles uh, <laughs> on the world. The best song no, out of it, though, you. is called Then I Met You. This is the month we get that. And if you think you hear it everywhere now, man, when that thing came out, it was I literally locked myself in the studio so I wouldn't have to hear it because uh, my DJs kept playing it. We also get uh, the very first EP from My Bloody Valentine. Uh, the Pixies took them on tour with them. Yes. And they released My Bloody Valentine. And it is the noisiest gear shift change ever because they were kind of like a straight up pop kind of light sort of british kind of like neo-funk band folk band right i mean he played like indie folk kind of like nice twee kind of stuff and then this comes out and um literally your ears bleed it's like wall and of sound they, hmm. they would put out another record later in the year but this thing is just a beast um and it kind of solidified creation records as the it label you know yeah. it's going to be really important going into 89 and 90. i have a couple of albums i want to talk about this year um or this month Ah, lots for this year. <laughs> Halloween with Keeper of the Seven Keys Part 2. I knew that would be on your list. That's a great record. I think yes. it's better than Part 1, which came out the year before. Uh, it probably has Halloween's most famous track, I Want Out, which I'm not even going to try to sing the chorus of that because my voice <laughs> cannot go as high as Michael Kisk's. Um, <laughs> but just that whole album is is great and it's really kicked off the whole power metal genre as it is known today i mean i want out specifically has been covered by like hammerfall and sonata arctica and gamma ray all of those bands big in that entire subgenre it's just so so influential and you know i think it was the last album uh kai hansen played on with them before he left really really big fan of that and then the other one is the first danzig album which of course spawned oh, mother yeah yeah uh, so he went solo from uh misfits and put out this this really really great album with his incredibly unique voice <laughs> it is unique well then let's step on into september we've got a, a new metallica album and where's justice for all where's which the bass was, guys right which i uh, think we we did a a glancing mention of last week's episode, but um, Anthony, what you got to say about that one? I think I said all I have to say. <laughs> okay. Seriously, you, br say... you bring in a new bassist and then you don't really, you, right. know, you mix him so far down. I get it that they were mourning Cliff. Yes. But they did my guy, Jason Dirty. No, I agree. I love Jason. I think he was a great addition to the band and he brought so much to it. You just couldn't really hear it. You didn't really get it until you saw him live, but there's some great songs on there. So, I mean, that's not, it's not all bad. That's the album with blackened on as well. And blackened is great. Yeah, exactly. So, and of course, one, one comes off of that album. Yeah. Which arguably oh, was yes. their earliest kind of MTV hit. Yes. Yes, yes. it was exactly right. Same day as that, though, Susie and the Banshees, Peep Show, which awesome. I really love. Yeah. Yes. Peekaboo, Killing Jar, great, great, great stuff. Last Beat of My Heart. Yeah. 
kind of a forgotten Susie record too. Everyone thinks of the first two or three and they kind of forget that one. Yeah, I agree. It kind of, it kind of um, the cure really helped get Susie played in America and um, peekaboo when that, when that thing hit in dance clubs and everything, it was full on for Susie. Mm-hmm. I think this was a weird month of, of releases. Um, I have a few that sort of just don't have anything to do with each other, but Yes. That were that were interesting and and big. Um, Tom Waits, we had uh, again on Island. It was big time. He released, which is basically like a live album. So that was that was like one kind of cool thing that came out there this year. Then on a real poppy kind of note, Bon Jovi released New Jersey, which was absolutely you know ground, huge for them. I like the album and I think it's good, but I just I don't know. It's very commercial, very poppy, whatever. But then there's stuff like Anthrax, State of Euphoria that came out that month also, which is, again, another release that we put out on Island that mm-hmm. I w- had the pleasure of promoting. I don't know, Rob, if I ever <laughs> called you about that one, but probably you did, you're, you're a metal we guy. <laughs> we, no, we did actually ran it because we put it in regular. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Fishbone had a great album out that Oh my year. God. Truth and Soul is yeah. still amazing. Yeah, uh, John Cusack's favorite record of all time, by the way. Really? Yeah. Interesting trivia. It's still great. You get Ma and Pa, you get, I mean, Alan had talked a little bit about funk in the NWA record. There's mm. funk all over that. Oh, and yeah. I think you kind of get in this year between Living Color and the Fishbone and the NWA, you kind of get this sort of like resurgence of the influence of funk. Like people are starting to look at it differently. Yeah. That record, though, is just, it's still fantastic. It's probably the best thing they've done. Yeah, I um, really love that album. Yeah, it's it's really good. And the last thing I was going to mention for the month was was my possibly my favorite Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds album, which is Tender Prey. And it's you know, and it's funny because as I researched this album and just you know certain information, I came across the fact that Nick Cave himself did not like this album. He's not a fan of this. I think he thought there was just like some bad production, bad performances, wasn't in the headspace in that it's sort of all over the place. But my God, I love this album so much. The Mercy Seat is a great song. Deanne is one of my favorite songs by him. City of Refuge. And there's just so many good songs on it. And I don't understand. I can't, I can't figure out why he doesn't like it, but you know, it just shows what I know. Maybe you'll get the chance to ask him something. Yeah. The Mercy Seat is pretty incredible. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's, uh, Johnny Cash covered that song. Yes, he did. Taking this in a completely different turn, They Might Be Giants released Lincoln, and Anna Ang was on that record, which was everywhere in 120 minutes. You couldn't turn on 120 minutes without freaking They Might Be Giants on. That record sort of just broke them literally before Flood, but that that set everything up. They toured like crazy on, on that record. We also get Billy Bragg's Workers Playtime. I think it's his fourth mm-hmm. album. Yeah. Um, which has got some interesting stuff on it. We get Bluebell Knoll from the Cocteau Twins, which is kind of uh, a little bit forgotten, but Carolyn's Fingers is on that record. It's it's uh, pretty good. And there's not really a way to contextualize how Elizabeth Fraser fits in 1988, uh, other than that voice is amazing. And there's not really a voice like it anywhere no. making a record that year, except maybe Dead Can Dance. Uh, Mark Allman put out a solo album, uh, The Stars We Are, probably the first solo album he made that was really commercially successful because he had tears with rings on it. And then 
He made a record with Gene Pitney. He covered something's got a hold of my heart with Gene Pitney, and it went mm -hmm. like massive all over the world. And that was on 120 minutes. And then it started getting all these youth kids running out buying Gene Pitney records, which was kind of weird. And you also get Skinny Puppy with uh, Vivi Section Six or Vivi, whatever the hell I call that thing, um, which is probably again part of that industrial thing that we're going to get more of next in the in the next month. But um, you're getting some really loud sounds. And that record sort of also kind of fused a lot of like metal and electronic elements together. You're kind of starting to see this build a little more. October, um, I'll piggyback off the skinny puppy. How about that? And that's Ministry, The Land of Rape and Honey. Yeah. Uh, also a big hit with the PMRC. Um, <laughs> just an incendiary record that sounds nothing like the Ministry records before it. Um, if you'd listened to ministry up, up until that point and turned it on. Yeah. You're like, what is this? But it's pretty amazing. It's still probably one of the greatest concert experiences I've ever had because on that tour, they put a steel fence in front of the stage and they had trash cans on fire. And basically the whole premise is if you wanted to, you couldn't slam, but if you wanted to throw people onto the fence, um, I went with a couple kids from school and I made it a point to wear my steel toes and it was, uh, it was all on, man. Any grudge you had against any other kid in that ah. pit. That is the that is the nastiest pit I've ever been in. That's horrible. One of the loudest shows I've ever been in. And I've never seen a singer like vis just viscerally like haunt his audience into violence like that before. Wow. But it was that record is just so angry and, and loud. And yeah, it's probably one of the five loudest things I've ever seen. Also, that that's the month that we get the incredibly relevant uh, Daydream Nation from Sonic Youth, too, which I think is probably their big moment. I wasn't really aware of Sonic Youth until I turned on 120 minutes and Kevin Seals going on and on and on about Daydream Nation for like 20 minutes. And I'm like, really? And I played it. And I'm like, wow, this is this is great. You know, it's got the uh, album cover. That's a famous work of art. It's got all this other stuff going on. This is the month of the very first Stone Roses single uh, that comes out, Elephant Stone. I think that's the first one but that drops so it was a precursor um the laws released uh there oh, she comes that. yeah what a good uh, there she goes yeah there she goes which, she which goes. would be until stephanie seymour recorded there is a time would be the biggest earworm <laughs> of the uh of the century and um another 120 minutes record i am curious orange that was my first foray into the fall man i didn't get the fall at first did you steph oh i don't get the fall anyway so I only, get like, I only get like two or three records from them, but this is one of the ones that, that I get. Hmm. Um, it's probably the most commercial one that they made. We also get uh, Introspective uh, from the Pet Shop Boys, which has Domino Dancing on it, which is their last big single, sort of the mm -hmm. last stand of them being a hit. But it's, it's, it's big because it does two things. It introduces the concept of a remix record, which Stock It and a Waterman would just run with after this. And then it also, by putting like Frankie Knuckles on it and some other people, it sort of takes house music into um, pop stuff. And you start to see all these house music guys producing pop records and you get that over the next couple of years. Well, there's another, we, we talked about uh, one of the bands that had a big change of sound. And there's another one, October 18th, Duran Duran put out Big Thing, yep. which was a huge shift in, in their style. A couple of big singles, I Don't Want Your Love, you know, was a good one. All She Wants Is, um, and I liked those, but I thought the there were some album tracks that I thought were far stronger. The title song is excellent. 
Um, and then a couple of side two uh, songs, Too Late Marlene and Palomino. Oh, great songs. Great songs. That's another one of those records that sort of people go back and kind of like realize now that it's much better than they was than it was when they when they got it. That's a fun record. I don't want your love is probably like one of the catchiest Duran singles. When I think of Duran Duran, that's just sort of like across the board a pop earworm thing. Mm-hmm. My October album that I, I would have to say is my number one October album is Rattle and Hum. Again, another album that I was promoting at Island. Um, I love this album and I know it's sort of not, I mean, a lot of people think it's like some pretentious kind of piece of crap, but, and I know he has a huge ego. I do understand that. I can see why people would think that, but I just think this album's really good. And I, I love Angel of Harlem. I love when love comes to town with BB King. It's fantastic. God part. I love that one too. God part two is amazing. That's the one I would have released. Yeah. As a sing- That's when we ran. Uh, actually, was, it was a sing- it was a single, I believe. Um, live version of "Still Can't, Haven't Found What I'm Looking For" with the gospel choir. That's so awesome. So I don't know. I mean, I know a lot. Of, like again, people didn't love it, but some people did, and it was a very big commercial success. Obviously, so it uh, also has Van Diemen's Land on it, which I yeah. think is a horribly neglected U two song. Yeah. But I, I liked Angel of Harlem. I, th- I thought it was just oh, catchy enough. And it's it was great. Just, it's got enough jangles and stuff in it that it really works. His voice, vo- his vocal performance is great on that. I really do like Desire. Mm-hmm. And the the live version of one of my favorite U2 songs ever, Bullet the Blue Sky, oh, yeah. is exceptional. Yeah. The only other thing that I can think of in October was the Bangles with everything. Everything. And this is the last album that they did with Michael Steele on bass, which is kind of sad because I always loved her songwriting and her vocals. And she has a couple of great songs on this one, complicated girl and glitter years, which is about the heyday of the Bowie and the Mark Bolin era of glitter rock. And Vicky and Debbie Peterson have a great song called bell jar, which Mm. is about uh, Sylvia Plath who wrote the novel bell jar. And then, um, Vicky did a weird co-write with Vinnie Vincent, who was no longer in Kiss. And they did a song called Make a Play for Her Now, which is really good and very different style for Vinnie. And I always want to know how those two hooked up and <laughs> what that song came from. I never really understood it, but I'd love to know the story behind it. This is, this is also, just think of how huge this album was with Eternal Flame and In Your Room. I mean, really, it was yep. Eternal Flame that was the huge hit. I mean, yep. it it made them massive, massive stars, I think. But, right. yeah, I, I don't know. It's not my favorite Bangles album, but I, I, do, I do think it's really good. Also in November, we have a great R.E.M. album, yes. Green. Yes. Orange Crush, World Leader Pretend. Turn You Inside Out. I love those songs. Hair shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's some singles that I didn't like as much. This <laughs> this really got a lot of flack for being, I mean, this was when they signed to Warner, you know, and they got a, fla- a lot right. of flack for basically kind of like they people saying they sold out. But you know what I say? I say, fuck that, because they had five albums where they were like paying their dues and they're playing, they're making, you know, these great albums and they finally get a, freaking hit good for them 
You know, this doesn't really sound like a sellout album either. It sort of sounds so like all. a continuation. Right. It's just because sound. of Stan. That's why people are like, oh, Stan, exactly. you know, but like this album is kick ass. World Leader Pretend. I love yep. the Untitled. The last song is called Untitled. I mean, mm-hmm. this is just like, you know, whatever. It's another thing of like people just whining, yeah. you know, come on. It's a great album. To our great shame, November 1988 is also the month that unleashed Millie Vanilli upon the world. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that it, up. because It wasn't released in the U.S. until the following year, but it was released uh, other places around the world. And, you know, I don't think we need to. I think if we say any more about that, we have to have other people say it for us. <laughs> if, if anybody gets that joke. Having that in the Bross record come out the same year is pretty much a tell. We also got and and. Steph can relate to this as well, but this is the uh, this is the year Nana Cherry broke, right? And um, Buffalo Stance, that Ooh. thing was everywhere. Yeah. I love that song. That so song is amazing. Yeah, her laugh in it is like the best. I know. Yeah, yeah that's a great song. I, I have it. I have it on one of my '80s playlists. I love it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's fantastic. The whole album's great too. But we also get. Um, Front 242 and Front by Front. Speaking of sellouts, it's uh, it's on Wax Tracks, but later came out on Columbia. But gave us uh, Welcome to Paradise and Headhunter, um, which if you like industrial music, they're they're pretty big deals. And we got the Happy Mondays first record, Bummed, yeah. uh, which gave us Wrote for Luck and kind of started kick-started the Hacienda sound. Um, I remember watching 120 Minutes, and I'm watching this video. I'm like, why is this man dancing in a club and the only other people there are babies <laughs> and it's the video for wrote for luck and it's got a really great opening line on it that somebody sent me flowers once and wrote that on the first line wrote the first line of the song on my flowers which kind of it kind of crushed the song forever for me but that started that sort of really got the that whole rave hacienda thing going over here mm-hmm. once that broke because people did not know what to make of the happy mondays and they were white english funk guys right yeah. so it was even weirder so yeah anything more we need to say about 88 it's a monster year of monster sounds um some tame some not tame people yeah. taking lots of leaps it is very much a transition year i know you mentioned it was kind of also a hodgepodge but it's a year where stuff's happening and moving around and what are people saying after five years of Thunder Talk? It's offensive and unrelatable. If I had a nickel for every episode Thunder Talk's published in five years, I'd maybe have three dollars. I'm terrified of their woke agenda. Their unconventional opinions makes me want to watch sports. I'm down with it because Mark gets to cuss. The music is mad cool. And we have great guests. I suppose it's not all bad. Thunder Talk is proudly tolerated by the ESO Network. All right. Well, that brings 1988 to a close. So we will be back next week uh, with, uh, with a show. I'll just say that. And until then, Stephanie, why don't you kick us off with where people can find you? You can find me um, on Facebook at Stephanie Seymour Music. You can find me on Instagram at there underscore r underscore birds. And I have a website, thereirebirds.com. And uh, you can find me on Bandcamp under my name, Stephanie Seymour. And of course, on all these streaming platforms like Spotify and stuff like that. All right, Anthony. 
You can also find me on the Watchers in the Fourth Dimension podcast, watching our way through all of Doctor Who from 1963 until now. We are on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, um, and all of those other places wherever you like to get your podcasts. And you can also follow us on social media at, at Watchers4D on uh, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or X, or whatever the fuck it's called this week. Right. And you can also find me personally on Instagram at, at Englishman in ATL. Rob, how about you? So you can find me on uh, Facebook or the Twitter X planetary mess that is um, also on post um, under my name. And uh, you can find me on the radio on Wednesday nights on KDHX 88.1 FM in St. Louis, streaming at KDHX.org. So you can listen to that on the archive stream whenever you want. It's there for you to listen to um, whenever. Also, I host a show on Louder Than More Radio on Monday nights from 6 to 8 Greenwich Mean Time. And then um, that's 1 to 3 Eastern, 12 to 2 Central. Um, it's called Antics. You can listen to that there. And I'm also on the Weekend Justice Podcast for NeedCoffeeFee.com. All right. And I've got a website that catches all of my nonsense in one place, and that is Cosmic Creative. K-O-Z-M-I-C creative.com. You can find my books. You can find my podcasts. And I don't know, maybe I'll put out a coloring book and you can find that there too. I don't know. So we will be back soon. Hope you'll stick around with us. Uh, until then, take care. Keep rocking on. And we'll see you soon. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.